you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at this morning verses 35 through to verse 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Let me read this for us. Now on that day when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Lord, take this passage now and speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. For the glory of Christ's name, we pray this. Amen. Well, there was a time when I was a kid, I was on a fishing trip with my dad. Uh, we went fishing at, on the Bay of Quinty, and um, we were in this little fishing boat. We had a, my dad had a very small boat with about a, a 10 uh, horsepower um, engine, and, um, or motor, sorry, and we, uh, we ended up going under the bridge uh, in the Bay of Quinty. There's, there was an area that was a, a more secluded area, and so we went into this area, we fished there for the day, and um, there was really no wind or anything like that, and uh, the water was calm, and we were fishing, and we caught a bunch of fish. But on our way back, we, we went back into the main area of the Bay of Quinty to get to the place where we had docked. And we were utterly surprised by what we were about to experience. Uh, the winds were intense, and, and the, the waves were probably four to five feet waves, and we were in this tiny little boat. And I've been in a boat a lot growing up with my dad. This was the first time where I actually saw fear in my dad when he was on the boat. And he was, he was doing things and he was taking control of the situation, but you could tell that he was worried. Primarily for me, I was only about 10 years old at the time. And I remember my dad actually made me lie down on my stomach on the boat right flat down on my stomach holding on to the bench in front of me because he was afraid that we were going to get tossed. Now, thankfully, we were able to get to the shore and everything worked out all right. Now, I was scared during that moment, but for the most part, I was able to remain calm to a certain degree because I believed in that moment my dad was in control, whether he was or not. And every time I read this passage in Mark chapter 4 of Jesus calming the storm, I'm kind of reminded of that story that I had with my father. Now, there's no doubt that the disciples' experience was 
far worse than what I had experienced that day. There was a legitimate chance that all of the disciples would have drowned, except they still hadn't realized who was in the boat with them, but there was one who had control. So Mark tells us, on that same day, when evening had come, Jesus told his disciples that he wanted to cross to the other side. Now we're not sure all that entailed that same day, right? It's possible that it could be referring to chapter 4, verse 1, where he began to teach beside the sea and began to teach the parables. But it's also possible that all of chapter 3 happened within the same day as this story. Regardless, I think Mark wants to make clear that Jesus had a very long day. He was experiencing the demands of ministry. And so he and his disciples left the crowd, got into their boats, and made their way across the sea. And while they're making their way across the sea, something drastic happens. As we read in verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. So a great windstorm arises, waves are, are breaking into the boat, the boat was already filling up with water. The Sea of Galilee, which, which they were crossing, rests approximately 628 feet below sea level. And the sea is surrounded by mountains with deep ravines. And these ravines function as, as funnels that, that thrust strong winds onto the sea. And it can happen without notice. And this, is, this often will, will lead to horrific storms like the one we read about here. So this is no small storm. This is a life-threatening storm. There's major potential that they're going to sink. And remember, there weren't life jackets back then, and, and most likely they probably weren't able to swim. People didn't go uh, to swim in the Sea of Galilee back then. The, the sea for the Jewish people was, was a place of darkness and chaos. They were scared of the water in that sense. They weren't about taking swimming lessons. And so before us, we have a desperate, frantic scene. The disciples are, are probably holding on for dear life, while at the same time they're, they're trying to empty the water out of the boat, but they're not making any progress because the waves continue to crash into the boat. And based upon what they say to Jesus they truly did believe that they were going to perish in this storm. But what's Jesus doing in the midst of this desperate, frantic scene? Well, verse 38, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, for those of us who have read this story and have heard this passage preached before, we're not surprised by this. But if you've never heard or read this story before, this verse would utterly shock you. The disciples are in the midst of a life-threatening storm, and Jesus is, is sound asleep in the stern of the boat. The startling contrast between what is happening around Jesus 
and what is happening with Jesus himself, I mean, it should cause you to sit back and say, how is this even possible? See, what this simple, simple sentence, um, with this simple sentence, sorry, he was in the stern of the boat asleep, we're given insight into the mystery of this man. On the one hand, this phrase captures Jesus' real humanity. Jesus was so exhausted from ministry demands that even in the midst of a life-threatening storm, he was sound asleep. We so easily forget this, but Jesus really did tire. He felt exhaustion as a man. He knows what it's like to experience the demands of life. He knows physical and mental weariness to have life sucked out of him, so to speak. In his humanity, he needed sleep and rest. And this is why he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, because he was made like us in every respect. So on the one hand, this verse demonstrates the humanity of Christ. But on the other hand, this this image of Jesus sleeping in the midst of the storm, I think also captures his divinity. This is a different kind of man. He's resting and calm while his disciples are terrified for their lives. He's not afraid of the chaos of creation. He's unmoved by waves crashing into the boat. It's as though none of this surprises him. When they all get into the boats at the beginning of this trip, only he knew what was to come. See, there's an otherness to Jesus. He's utterly unique. He's not like the rest of mankind. We, you and I, we we react in fear as humans when when we feel like something more powerful than ourselves has entered into our presence. We react in in fear when we feel like we've lost control of a situation or realize that we don't actually have control of a situation. But this never happens to Jesus. Even at his betrayal in the garden and his trial, you see a man completely in control. You see, Jesus, he's never confronted by a superior power. He's not in fear of a superior power because he has supreme power. There's never a moment in Jesus' life where he's no longer in control. This image of, of Jesus, yes, captures his humanity beautifully, but it also captures his divinity wonderfully. His calmness in the midst of the storm reveals he's not like other men. He's more than a mere man. This image of Jesus sleeping in the midst of the storm points us to to the great doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus was both fully man and fully divine. His divinity was clothed in his humanity. And what he does to the storm will only further demonstrate this. But we need to see this. When we're experiencing the chaos of life, the storms of life, we need to remember that our Savior is calm. Not because he doesn't care, but because he's in control. 
So Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat, and the disciples are, are fighting for their lives. They're, they're terrified. They're frantic. Fear has overcome them. And while they're trying to battle the storm, they see Jesus sleeping. And in desperation, but, but probably also a level of frustration and anger, they turn to Jesus and wake him and question him in verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many times these words have been repeated throughout history by both the skeptic and the believer? Sure, in a, in a different form, but with the same meaning. Where are you, Jesus? Do you not care about us? Why are you allowing me to experience this? Why are you allowing this circumstance in my life? You see, in the midst of difficulty, the, the storms of life, we're so prone to conclude that Jesus doesn't care. Despite the fact that he died for us, despite the fact that he gave up his glory and was slaughtered on a wooden cross for us, we're still prone to doubt that he cares when we go through difficult storms. We're still prone to lose faith just like the disciples did. And so they await Jesus and they question him. Now, you need to put yourself in the disciples' feet at this moment. For what happens next would have utterly shocked them, which it did, as we read in verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. With mere words... The storm submits itself to the authority of Jesus and the waters go completely calm. And it happened immediately. Now can you, can you imagine the disciples' faces in this moment? Here, a man with his mere voice is controlling and commanding nature to do his will. What sort of man is this? Well, the Bible tells us that the one who controls nature with his voice is the one who created nature by his voice. How are we told that the creation was created in Genesis 1? There's a phrase that is repeated over and over again on each day. And God said, let there be light. And God said, God spoke, and creation came into existence. The power of God's word to create from nothing. This is what we see here with Jesus. He is the creator and the controller of nature. Just as he created the creation, he controls the creation. As Hebrew, Hebrews 1 states, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So picture the scene. Within a moment's notice, everything goes calm. The sea is perfectly still like ice. The disciples are, are probably in shock. And then Jesus turns to them in verse 40 and questions them. He said to them, why are you so afraid? 
have you still no faith? This was not condemnation on Jesus' part, but it was a rebuke. It was an exhortation. Why are you so afraid? Why do you still not believe? Were you not there when I delivered the man from the demon in chapters 1, verse 28, 21 to 28? Were you not there when I healed the leper in chapters 1, verse 40 to 45? Were you not there when I healed the paralytic in chapters 2, 1 through 12? Were you not there when I healed the man with the withered hand in chapters 3, verse 1 to 6? Why are you so afraid, disciples? Have you still no faith? You see, though the disciples were called by Jesus, and though they were given the secret of the kingdom, that didn't mean they fully understood everything yet. Their faith was still developing. Their understanding of Jesus was still growing. Even when, when Peter affirms Jesus to be the Christ, in Mark chapter 8, his understanding is still skewed. But this question that Jesus says to his disciples is presented not just to them, but before each of us. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So after the disciples see the miracle and are questioned by Jesus, were told what they were feeling internally and what they were saying in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were filled with great fear. They were afraid of the storm, but now a superior fear had overcome them. For before them was a superior power. They were full with massive fear, great fear, with awe and wonder at what they just beheld. They feared the power of the storm when they ought to have feared the one who has the power over the storm. See, their fear as a response to the, to the storm wasn't a right Fear, a deserving fear, a worthy fear. But their fear as a response to Jesus' power over the storm was a proper fear. But not only were they overcome with fear, with a great fear, they also questioned among themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For who in this world contains such power to control the wind and the sea? And the answer is quite simple. The one who created the wind and the sea. I wonder if Psalm 107, verse 28 to 29, came to the disciples' mind when they saw Jesus calm the sea and the wind. Psalm 107, 28 to 29 says this, Then they cried to the, to the Lord, Yahweh, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Yahweh did that. Jesus did that. You see, friends, Jesus, by calming the wind and the sea, was making clear that Yahweh, the God of creation, 
was on the boat with them. And the disciples were right to be afraid, for before them stood one with supreme, infinite power. Now you might ask, but are we supposed to be afraid of Jesus? Well, it depends on what you mean by afraid. If being afraid of Jesus means to you we can't have relationship with him, nor draw near to him, nor enjoy him, then of course not. We ought not be afraid in that sense. That's not the fear that Jesus would demand or desire from us. But if our fear of Jesus would cause us to marvel and revere his glory and power and create in us awe and wonder, then yes, we ought to fear Jesus. It's like when Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they, they hear that Aslan is a lion and they're struck with fear. And rightly so, he is a lion. And they ask Mr. Beaver if he's a tame lion and, and Mr. Beaver, Beaver responds, of course he's not a tame lion, but he's good. He's the king, you know. See, Jesus isn't tame. He's dangerous, but he's good. And he invites us to draw near to him. But that question that the disciples ask is meant for us to ponder and wonder the answer to that question. Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, each one of us are confronted with this question, and how we answer and respond to that question has eternal significance. Friend, if, if you're watching and, and you're not a, a follower of Jesus, it's not enough for you to conclude that Jesus was merely a righteous man. He doesn't leave room for such a conclusion. For what mere righteous man calms the wind and storm with mere words? Jesus really leaves you with two options, and that's it. The first option is to acknowledge that he is who he claims to be. He is God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe. Or the second option is to refuse to accept this to be true of him. Both have consequences. One leads to life, the other leads to death. And I plead with you that you would choose life, that you would look to the one who calms the storm and will not allow his children to perish. Embrace the first option. Bow your knee to the Lord of creation. Now before I end, I want to end with some applicational thoughts for us as followers of Jesus. The first thing I want us to think about or, or ask is, why did Jesus allow the storm to happen in the first place. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I read this passage. Why did Jesus allow the storm to happen in the first place? He could have prevented it from happening at all. He, he, he didn't have to put his disciples under such distress and fear. So why did he allow it to happen? Why did he allow them to experience such distress and fear? Why is it that he was so slow in stopping it when it came about. And here's, I think, the answer. 
They would never have seen Jesus's power if the storm didn't happen. They would never have seen Jesus's power if the storm didn't happen. In other words, God in his love towards us will providentially allow storms in our lives in order that we gain a greater glimpse of his glory and power and in so doing our faith and confidence in him is strengthened. You see, Jesus deliberately delays in order to reveal the depth of his power. He delays that we might have a greater revelation of him. You see, some of us may be thinking that, that Jesus' delay in our life is a lack of care, when in reality it's a demonstration of his care. If you feel that Jesus is asleep, it's not because he doesn't care, but because he wants you to see him more clearly than you did before. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is this. Jesus isn't only in control of the storms of your life, but he's with you in the storms of your life. He's in the boat with them in the midst of the storm. He's in your boat too, even if you don't see him. For he has promised his children he will never leave them nor forsake them. You know, it's very interesting that very early, in, uh, that very early, the, the Christian Christian art, uh, the church produced Christian art, and the, the, the early art that they have portrayed the church as a boat driven upon stormy seas with Jesus in the midst, and there was nothing to fear. And much of that art was based upon this passage. See, not only do we experience the storms of life as individuals, we all have circumstances that are difficult and, and they are the storms of life. And, and this passage applies to us as individuals. Jesus is going to calm the storms in our lives. In our lives, he is in control of the storms of our lives. But this also applies to the church throughout the ages. See, despite all the hardships and waves of distress the church may face, Christ is in the midst of her, and he won't let the boat sink. But the church will reach the other side safely. Even in the midst of this pandemic, friends, even though we cannot gather, know this, Christ is building his church, and he will Get his church to the place that he intended. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would take your word and accomplish your purposes. I pray for some of our family members, our church family members who are right now currently going through the storms of life. I pray that they would not be afraid of the storm, but that they would look to the one who has the power to rebuke the storm, to silence the storm, that they would trust him in the midst of the storm. And Lord, 
we thank you that we have this glorious hope that even though we as your people will go through the storms of life, we will come out on the other end and we will rejoice in your glory. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.